as someone who's been in an ambulance more than once or twice, the ambulance service is brilliant, and it's such an amazing job. And um, I can't see where John is, but my respect goes out to him, wherever he may be. So, um, we are talking about the Good Samaritan. It's a familiar story, and it's one of those stories where Christians and non-Christians alike agree that this is a good thing to do, to love your neighbour, to do good things for people. It's not really controversial, and um, it's a very secure story. It's one where we can feel comfortable because we know the story so well. We understand what happens, we know the Good Samaritan, we understand we're supposed to do good things. It's very nice and, and comforting. And although it's in the lectionary, I did wonder when I was preparing for this whether there was any need to question this story, which is known so well. Is there any need to try and find more detail in the story? Is there really any need to revisit the Good Samaritan except in the well-understood way? Well, as I thought about this, I realised there were some stories in the Bible which are okay to know very loosely. Maybe some of the key events in the Old Testament. David and Bathsheba. We, need, we know that story happened. We don't need to know really the details of it. There are some ways it's good to know it in more depth. So you're drawn to some stories. And then I realized there are some stories in the Bible where it's really good to reflect on at length over and over again. Not once, not twice, but throughout our lives. Now, the Bible's a long book, as anyone who's tried to read it in 40 days will understand. And which parts are which? Which should we draw extra attention to? Well, in some sense, it's part of a personal decision. But the things for me that really demand attention are the parts where Jesus himself speaks. Jesus says, and it's reported for us, Surely if there's any part of the Bible where we need to pay close care and attention, it's at those parts. Because Jesus' words were perfectly chosen. To talk to people then in the stories, but through parables to talk to us today in exactly the same way. When Jesus says in the Bible, he is speaking to us now and today. And the Good Samaritan is one of those passages. It relates an interaction Jesus had between himself and other people. And it relates a way that helped people understand through the parable the real meaning of faith. And it's a message that will apply to us today. So there are two ways we could approach it. We could take a nice smooth road, but there is a rocky road. And I'm going to try that road, and I hope you sort of bear with me. And I hope that it gives you food for thought, because as I prepared this sermon, it challenged me in many ways, and in some ways made me feel somewhat guilty of my lack of action. And I want to stress that what I'm not trying to do is to make people feel guilty they should be doing more, but just to make people reflect on what it is they are empowered to do here and now. So, I'll start by refreshing some of the details of this parable. The key thing is, from the road to Jerusalem from Jericho, um, I didn't know where Jericho was at all. And apparently it's very close to Jerusalem. It's only 18 miles away. And Jericho was the place where, in the last song, the last supper was taken, and Jesus' last great journey was to walk the road from Jericho to Jerusalem to be crucified. And although it's very close, 18 miles doesn't sound like much, the terrain is really very, very rough indeed. This is a typical section of the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. This is the view looking down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It looks quite close by our eyes, but according to the people in those times, it was an eight-hour walk away. And not only an eight-hour walk, it was a dangerous eight hours. Although it could be seen down below, Jericho was in the dangerous distance. Um, I started this by looking on Google to work out how to get from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is a typical section of the path, and Google helpfully says that walking directions use caution because they may be missing sidewalks or pedestrian paths. <laughs> and that certainly is true. This is a dangerous, difficult road. 
And I think it's kind of important to bear that in mind when we relate to the people in the story. They weren't walking along broad streets. They were walking in dangerous times. And I think when we're challenged in life, we're ourselves on a road which may be difficult and dangerous. We may not understand why it's difficult or dangerous. It may not seem difficult or dangerous, but sometimes we're on a dangerous road from A to B. Each time I think of this parable, I keep getting new insights, but we'll get on to those. Right. So it begins. The parable itself, the Good Samaritan story enacted, is only part of it. The whole story involves the teacher, Jesus, talking to a lawyer. And it begins with this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that is as big a question as you could ask. I mean, it's sort of saying, what's the meaning of life? It's a huge question. There is no bigger question. Now, to me, eternal life doesn't, isn't the draw of Christianity. For me, it's the draw of being close to God. So how do you want to phrase this? What must I do to be close to God? And the answer to this question is equally straightforward to write down. You must love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And you must love your neighbor as yourself. It's a short answer, but it's a very, very challenging answer. And it's sort of in two distinct parts. The first part is to love God completely. Now, that's very difficult to do. That strikes me as being almost impossible to achieve. And indeed, it is because of our sinful nature. But it's something to which we can strive. The second part, loving your neighbor yourself, is much more human. It's not saying love your neighbor perfectly with all your heart, mind, and soul. It's as yourself. It's between two humans in their flawed sense. This is easy to achieve. We don't need to try for perfection in our helping. We just need to relate to the people, the neighbours, as a person and do our best for them. And hopefully they'll do their best for us. And so the key message of the parable of the Good Samaritan, the reason it's there is to answer that big question at the top. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a very important question. It's the sort of question you could tend to ignore on a day-to-day basis. But occasionally, it's the kind of question that once every so often you should really think about these parts and understand how this is talking to you today. What's next? Ah, this slide, I like this one. This is a summary of what I've just said. But those two things are called the great commandment. Love God completely. Love your neighbors yourself. And in times of struggle or times of busyness, this is a very simple summary of Christianity in my, my opinion. This says essentially what Christianity is all about. Loving God, loving your neighbors yourself. And you can use this for your own benefit, but you can also use this when talking to people who aren't Christian because many will understand the bottom part because the moral compass is written on their hearts. They just don't know it's from God. What distinguishes Christians from non-Christians isn't the bottom part. My morality hadn't changed from being Christian to non-Christian. Sorry, not that way around. From being non-Christian to Christian. It stayed the same. I was equally touched and troubled by the problems of the world when I was not a Christian. But it was the top part that was missing, loving God. I didn't love him at all, let alone completely. And it's the top part which is transformative in our lives. And it's the top part that when linked to the bottom can really make change in the world around us. Now, Jesus was well known for giving radical messages. He upset the status quo. He didn't go down the smooth path. He took the rocky path he challenged the, the establishment head on. Now, is this a radical message? Well, no, because it actually originates in Leviticus. Now, it's unusual to get a Leviticus on the slide because Leviticus is the kind of book where we tend to these days sort of ignore. 
or many people do, because it's got lots of awkward passages in. Leviticus is the sort of book which atheists will use to quote snippets from to prove how rubbish and dangerous and bad Christianity is. Leviticus is also the sort of book where radical Christians will just quote tiny fragments to prove some point. I think both of these are in error. But what is interesting for the purpose of the Good Samaritan, which I'm talking about today, is that the message, the great commandment, is rooted in Leviticus. It's an ancient part of Christianity. This is not new. This is at the heart of what it means to have a relationship with God. I use the New King James because I feel that the Old Testament sounds a bit better in the Old King James Version. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. This is a section. It's not a history that's being stated. This is where the Lord is speaking. In the Good Samaritan, Jesus speaks in the same way. This message is fundamental throughout the whole Bible. What goes wrong is how people choose to interpret it. What goes wrong is when lawyers question, who's the neighbor and what should I do to help them? So bear in mind that this isn't new. This isn't a radical message of Jesus. What Jesus is simply doing is putting the question back to us. He's saying, we need to think about this. This is not a new message, but it's something we need to think about. And it's all we need to do, all we need to do, to inherit eternal life. So, the lawyer, the guy asking the questions, he kind of had the question of who's the neighbor, what needs to happen to, to love them as myself. And I want you to think about this question in your own environment, in your own life. Who's your neighbor? And what must you do to love them as yourself? Because if you can have some sort of answer to this, then you're making your way into the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, the man who rescued the, the beaten man on the road, he saw this person as a neighbor. Now, he didn't know this person. He was from the wrong kind of group. He was from a group of people he didn't like. They weren't friends, these sorts of people. Moreover, it was dangerous to help him. He was on a dangerous, difficult road, and he chose to stop. He put himself at risk. It required effort. I always thought that I always went over the part where he took the man to the inn. Well, that's generous. But actually, can you imagine on that road, putting someone on your donkey and somehow getting an extra person to another place? It's a huge undertaking of effort. It required time. It required money. It really put this person out. Can you imagine helping someone in such a similar way? Moreover, the man won't repay you. He's not your physical neighbor. He's not going to come around and buy you a bunch of flowers or bake you a cake and say, thank you very much. He'll be gone. The man helped him out of the goodwill of his heart for no other purpose than to help a neighbor. It's a specific example of how true help can be. It can just be offered freely and without any feeling of reward. And this is good, though. There is a reward because God wants us to do this. And when you do things that God wants, peace and contentment come into your life. That's a theory, anyway. I'm still working on it from time to time. <laughs> so, now, as I say, when I, when I thought about this service, it, I became more and more challenged as I went through. And this question challenged me personally the most. Would you have helped the man if you were on that road? If I'm being honest, I probably wouldn't. I, what I would have probably done is to want to help, but somehow I would have been too nervous, 
too scared. I wouldn't know what to do. I wasn't prepared for such an experience. I might have hoped someone else might come along, someone better equipped to help than me. You know, I'm wearing a bandage. Oh, that's okay. I can't help because I, I, I've got bad arms at the moment. But it's a good message to think. Would you have helped? Some of you I know would have done. Maybe all of you would, actually. Maybe I'm just alone in thinking I would have not had the guts to help this person. But there have been situations in my life when, in hindsight, I could have acted to help somebody. But in the moment, I just didn't understand what to do. And the moment passed me by. We'll come back to that. That's one to look forward to. This will be a moment of levity following what I'm about to say. The message of the Good Samaritan. Okay, it's getting more challenging now. We're unlikely to meet people, unless you're in the ambulance service, who have been beaten. That is an unlikely thing to experience in this country today. It's common in other parts of the world. But there's a quite calming message. Remember the thing about God was you had to love him completely. That was a perfection was required. The love your neighbor as yourself is more human. The Samaritan didn't set out to save somebody that morning. He didn't go, all right, I need to save someone today. What he was doing was doing his own business. He was walking along, doing what he needed to do in his life at that time. And the opportunity presented itself to him. And the same thing goes for us. We each have different gifts and different purposes in life. We each have our journeys to travel. Sometimes we're on a nice smooth road, sometimes we're on a rocky road. We each have our things that God wants us to do with our hands and our feet, using our talents and our spirits and our hearts. But along these journeys, we will meet people in situations which need our help. So it's not that we need to say, well, I haven't helped anyone today. What we need to think to do is to be aware that as we travel through our journey, there are people we will encounter, people who will need our help. And are we going to offer that help? And perhaps the Good Samaritan may just be enough to give you the confidence to realize that although it may be difficult, it's the right thing to do. Now, this is where I find the story of the Good Samaritan becomes masterful because Jesus cleverly puts the story back entirely on the man. Jesus doesn't say you must do these things. He says, what do you think? And Jesus says, yes, that's just so. He gives the man the responsibility of determining who the neighbor is and who needs help. Jesus doesn't say, here's the rules. Tick them off. It's up to the person involved. It's up to the person with a heart and their conscience. This is a burden, in some sense, we are given to bear. We need to make these judgment calls as we travel through life. We can choose to ignore the situations where we might have a positive impact, or we can choose to, to deal with them. It's up to our conscience to decide. It's our responsibility to decide whether or not help is needed. And we must shoulder this responsibility. Now, this appealing to your conscience is a very powerful message. And it's been used to try and get people to fight wars for long times. Does anyone recognize any of these? Your country needs you. I can't help thinking of General Melchett instead of Lord Kitchener. But it's a fine moustache, and that's the main thing which, which draws my attention. Your country needs you. Your neighbor needs you. That's a good message. And I realize that it spawned lots of imitations. And I wonder if anyone, does anyone speak Russian or Brazilian? Right, I'll translate. Now, the message your country needs you, I quite like that message. Some of the other messages work a little bit less well. So the top left one, the Russian one, he's simply saying, 1919, Russian White Army, why aren't you in the army? It kind of lacks the, the sort of the feel for the other one. The, the red one on the bottom, in the bottom middle, um, that's the Communist Party in 1927. It says, you, if you are not a member of the cooperative, sign up immediately. This is a gun to your head kind of message. 
Jesus isn't doing that sort of message. He's not saying, go and help people. Brazil in 1932 had a good way of doing it. They said, you have a duty to fulfill. Ask your conscience. And I really like that. We all have duties and responsibilities. Ask your conscience what we need to do. Think about Jiminy Cricket if you need to. Because a conscience is there on our hearts. It's guiding us. Brazil did another one, actually. And they got it a bit wrong for the next one. They said, Brazil needs you. Without you, integration, there is no nationalism. Which kind of lacks the punch of your country needs you. And I'm not sure that if you said to a 17-year-old, think about the army, without integration, there is no nationalism, they would, they would understand. We need a simple message that speaks to us as simple people. And the deepest message comes across is when we realize there's actually a great simplicity about this. Now, I thought I was done with finding this passage difficult, but then I realized it was even more challenging because it's very common, I think, to think of yourself as the priest. Would I have helped? I'm the Levite. Am I the Samaritan? But are you the wounded man? That's a bigger question. Or are you the Samaritan? Or are you a mixture? Sorry, I was thinking about quantum states then. You could have a superposed <laughs> thing. <laughs> but you get some idea of the complexity. Sometimes the road is smooth, sometimes the road is difficult. And it's never, okay, today I'm a wounded man, tomorrow I'm a Samaritan. It's a mixture, it's complicated, because in any interaction we have, there'll be an element of need and an element of giving. And Jesus wants us to have these relationships. Now, in the modern world, it can be very, very difficult because we're so connected to everybody. In the old times, if you, your horizon physically by sight was essentially your world. But now if you turn on the internet, the news, all the problems of the world, or the big ones, or some of them, are in our faces. There's death, destruction, famine, corruption, all sorts of things that assault us every day in the media. And instead of passing maybe one man who needs help, we see on a daily basis thousands of people, millions of people. The whole world is in need. And how are we supposed to help all these people? Now, this is where me being post-Christian is, so I've gone on again, being a Christian instead of not being one, is really valuable. Because when I wasn't a Christian, I often felt that these things were beyond my influence. It was very difficult because there was so much need and there was nothing I could do to help. And that was painful. And then people can fall into the trap, as perhaps I did, that because there are so many people who need help, I ended up helping nobody. And that reminds me of the, the phrase, the evil to triumph, it's only necessary for good men to do nothing. I was a good man, I wasn't doing anything. Because there just seemed too much need, how could I choose? But God doesn't say in the help your neighbor, he doesn't say solve the problems of the whole world. It's not a love God completely thing. It's just your neighbor as yourself. Go about your daily lives, doing what you're called to do, and when you encounter need in a way you can help, then help it. We're going to sing a song at the end. There's so many problems to make you feel bad, so many good people suffering you've never been bad. It's very true. But despair not. Because, actually, there are things we can always do. What we can always do is to pray. And this is the part I didn't really understand, even when I was a new Christian. Because prayer can change people and it can change situations. Prayer can always be offered for a situation that we see. If we see a situation and we despair about it, we can pray about it briefly and in passing. We can fill our days with these small prayers. And God wants us to pray in this way. There's one thing Jesus teaches us. He prayed constantly. 
the person on the other side of the world who's being persecuted isn't outside my sphere of influence. It's outside my physical sphere. But I can pray for that person in that situation. I can offer a small prayer of hope for that person. And God wants us to pray in this way. There's us, the other person, and there's God. And by filling our lives with prayer in this way, we can change situations. Now, if we think about the Samaritan and the wounded man, it's not as simple as saying we're praying for them, because actually in the act of praying, then you will gain spiritual insight. We benefit from this interaction by seeing people in different lights. I used to be angry when I saw criminals do bad things. But if you see them and say, actually, I'll, pr- I'll pray for that person, that person's in their situation because of what's happened to them. That's very sad for them. Suddenly the hate is removed from the situation and things are just much more calm. I'm not sure what the next slide is. Let's have a look. Oh, yes, this is a good one. So, Lord Kitchener, the country needed you at that time. I blanked out the you needs. But who will need you this week? Many people will. But the second question is, who will you actually need this week? And I think in an environment such as this one, this is perhaps more challenging because pride often gets in the way of people asking for help. But sometimes we do need things. The wounded man in the road didn't hide behind a rock because he was embarrassed at being naked and having been beaten. He didn't hide from help. He lay there to receive help. And in some ways, we need to understand that we are not the solution to all problems. And we're not an individual who acts alone. We need other people. It's only by understanding we need others and others need us that we can become whole as a Christian family. Now, there are times of transition where people become sick and people become well. And often it's in those transitional times where it's difficult to realize that we're finite. We're not as infinite as we used to be. And to understand that actually some help would be good and to be open about this thing. We offer help, we receive help. It's a very powerful but very simple message. And in this sense, it's loving your neighbor as yourself. So, we thought we'd end this reflection in a slightly different way. Because we each have a unique journey to take. Okay? We're all doing different things, which are all great. And our journeys and our hearts take us in different ways. And our consciences will ask us to act in certain ways. We need certain help. We can offer certain things. So what we've done is we've put around the room some newspapers from today and the last couple of days, which just contain the news. It's random things that have happened. And we invite you to either sit and reflect quietly on the service, or you may wish to have a look at some of the papers and see what story catches your eye, see what it says to you. Pray for the Holy Spirit to speak to you in this act. See where you're drawn. And to think about in the week ahead, what help will you give and what help will you ask for?